I'm going to begin, um, I'm going to read from my first book, um, which is called Odalisk in Pieces. Finding the Lark. One. Our house of quiet restraint had so few gifts in it. My mother lived quiet as a ring in a velvet box. I wrote a poem about my father turning into a planet, of being that planet's anxious satellite rising from its orbit into the atmosphere. In the poems, I burned down our modest house. I burned down houses all over town. No one knew me, I thought, but my mother did. She scribbled me a picture where my mouth should have been. She explained longing and offered me salves, furs, cigarettes wrapped in linden leaves. Two. Every morning, a lark came to the front window that framed her. Arson is invention, sang the lark from her perch, pointing to where her silvery heart smoldered. I grew my mouth kissing that window, roiling waters inside, my hunger stretching its feline limbs. I wondered what her gifts were, wondered if the lark was my mother or if my mother my mother. Then one morning, the lark disappeared. From my window, I watched for the desperate speck, searched the bushes, searched the table, her perch in the house's veiled attic. The halo of smoke in the sky was dotted with birds, but they weren't the lark. I watched the sky, pushed out of the window to look, my long hair twisted in the wires that connected our house to the distance. A fire chattered. I looked into the lacy face of it. I didn't know where it came from. I wanted it. At first, it seemed to me that it was the truth burning away. Then, not at all. Three. I slept while my mother measured my hunger. She left cottage cheese in cardboard boxes. She left a note on the door, gone, don't wait up. She found the photo I took of the lark. I adorned it with pearls. In it, the lark sings a song I tried to learn from the cleft of her mouth. I once pressed the photo to my face like a mask, but nothing. This my mother took. Sweet, sweet girl, sweet girl of mine. She knew what I wanted all along. Four. My pencil grows sharper, the ink runs full, the cold wind stays at my back, my father becomes a ghost of industry, my mother wraps herself in cloaks at night. Every night she looks in the trees, sweet, she calls out, searching for the source of smoke, sweet girl. She becomes a stranger with sticks in her hair. Lark, come home. Lark, find my mother. Now she's the one who needs you. When my mother kisses me, she tastes like soot. I'm going to read a poem um, about my daughter. About my, is it about my daughter? I can't remember. No, it's about my son. <laughs> it's about a baby. And we were talking about this earlier. When you have two babies, then it all kind of blurs together. Um, and uh, this one is called The Drive Home. 
My son is my newest nerve, too small to speak, mouthpiece for death. Why I never leave the house. When he gets ensnared inside the treads of his crying, I'm seized, the other naif in the car, the one with the barest idea of what costume to wear. Mother, really? My outside holds my inside together with the flimsy bandage of duty. I think, stop, so I pull into a parking lot to wait it out. His eyes howl glass shards into my head while I struggle to undo the space traveler clasps that keep him bound inside the car but facing away from me so that he only sees what we leave behind like he's forgiving as he goes along. Cities, I still love you. Where did the picture come from, someone says, feeling the signature of wings in her chest? The monument. We cleaned ourselves in its genesis and left it up because, come on, like it wasn't hollow, a spectacle not meant for the museums we start like families. Oh, this Pittsburgh, its hallucination of throwing a drink into the West's face. That's where I kept us. We got cornered and our pockets were turned out. Our hours were borrowed, a delirium no one could name fled into us. Now we pay and pay. Every face is someone else we know and as true as the exile we woke into once before we even had a chance to visit. Photo of a girl on a beach. Once, when I was harmless and didn't know any better, a mirror to the front of me and an ocean behind, I lay wedged in the middle of daylight, paper doll thin, dreaming. Then I vanished. I gave the day a fingerprint, then forgot. I sat, I sat naked on a towel on a hot June Monday. The sun etched the inside of my eyelids while a boy do dozed at my side. The smell of all oceans was around us, steamy salt, shell, and sweat, but I reached for the distant one. A tide rose while I slept, and soon I was alone. Try being a figure in memory. It's hollow there. For truth's sake, I'll say she was on a beach, and her eyes were closed. She was bare in the sand, long, and the hour took her bit by bit. When I was a kid, um, we moved around a lot, um, and so those that kind of ephemera that you have from childhood, like drawings and report cards, and when you move a lot, those things kind of fall away. They're not necessities, um, and but I think about them all the time, uh, and so this poem is um, is about that idea. So you know who we are. The wisteria and bill collectors colluded to swallow our household whole, so we dismantled it, rivet and splinter, made two piles on the lawn. One, belongings the quality of lead. Two, belongings the quality of dandruff. The blue stoop, its yellow roses, a peep show. Each time we cracked the door, my dog-eared book on serial killers, the painting with the wandering eye, stacked in the yard, 
as we had done a dozen times before. My father insisted that staying was akin to calcifying. He hated geologic permanence buried in heaps under us. He buried his employ instead. My mother sewed nickels into her hem. We children were assigned the task of packing only the most relevant bits into milk crates stolen from the grocery store. The leave-behinds we picked over, a giant jar of buttons, a red satin jumpsuit, a doll with galaxies painted onto her eyes, strands and strands of hair. We wrote our names in tiny letters on the walls of our rooms to put down a trace of our stay. My second collection of poems is called The City She Was, and it's based a little bit on um, Ovid's poems of exile, which are very moving, um, but they're also, um, there's a way in which they're about um, friendship. Um, but the reason I wrote the book and used that as a model is um, when I moved to Las Cruces, I moved from the Bay Area, from Northern California, and I desperately, I didn't realize while I was there, but I desperately missed it, and I um, I had lived in all over San Francisco, Oakland, Santa Cruz, San Jose, so it really was home and I didn't realize how much I loved it until I wasn't there and I felt very um, apart from it. Um, and so when I read, um, and about, from my friends too, and so when I read Ovid's Poems of Exile, even though it's very self-indulgent, I, de I definitely um, identified with it. So. Um, this, uh, this book is um, about that. Um, but the first poem I'm going to read is called um, Bleeding Heart, because I'm a bleeding heart, liberal. <laughs> bleeding Heart. My heart is bleeding. It bleeds upward and fills my mouth up with salt. It bleeds because of a city in ruins, the chair still warm from sister's body, because it will all be irreproducible. My heart is bleeding because of baby bear not finding mama bear, and it bleeds to the tips of my fingers like I painted my nails crimson. Sometimes my heart bleeds so much I am a raisin. It bleeds until I am a quivering ragged clot, bleeds at the ending with the heroine and her sunken cancer eyes, at the ending with the plaintive flute over smoke-choked killing fields. I'm bleeding a river of blood right now, and it's wearing a culvert in me for the blood. My heart rises up in me, becomes the cork of me, and I choke on it. I am bleeding for you and for me and for the tiny babies and the IED blown leg. It bleeds because I'm made that way, all filled up with blood. My sloppy heart a sponge filled with blood to squeeze onto any circumstance. Because it is mine, it will always bleed. My heart bled today. It bled onto the streets and the steps of City Hall. It bled in the pizza parlor with the useless jukebox. I've got so much blood to give inside and outside of any milieu. Even for a bad zoning decision, I'll bleed so much, you'll be bleeding. All of us bleeding in and out like it's breathing or kissing and because it is righteous and terrible and red.
the endangered you. One of the subjects um, that I think a lot about is um, the use of apostrophe in poetry. Um, I, I think a lot about the three players that are involved in a, a poem that uses apostrophe, the speaker, the, um, the listener, the eavesdropper, and the you, um, and the idea of the you having absence and presence at the same time. So this is a poem that kind of maybe makes material those questions. The Endangered You. Because the you slipped from me like a bead of mercury. Sometimes it was a big you with long gray hair, and other times it was a young man with a curl on his forehead, a vicious girl in a bathtub. The you had burrs that made my hands alive with small tears, but I kept it around, hoping someday I would learn how to use it, except I was lazy, and I never did. My you, my you, your insistent voice becomes the swirling windows. I lent it to a friend, and she used it a lot more than I did for letters and speeches. After a while, I would come to her house, and the you was a little more afraid than the last time. We pretended for a while that she would be giving it back, but we both knew that it wasn't mine anymore. Sometimes I actually got jealous and wished I had a you until I remembered how I had, one, had had one and neglected it. One day, after a few glasses of wine, I told her I had no need for it and that she could keep it. After a few more glasses, I told her that I did miss it a great deal and I took it back from her. After that night, she stopped calling me and answering my emails. I sentimentalized the you because to say you is warming. The you is irrelevant but still always within reach because I seldom do things without an audience. When I actually have it in my hand, after leaving it under a pile of bills or laundry, the you looks at me with indifference. The you insists that I engage lightly and instead I stomp around and wake the whole neighborhood with my boots to let everyone know what I think of the you's ideas. It's not safe to bandy it around like we're all in on it. We're the opposite of in on it. We're inside and waving our little white flag. I'm going to read from um, my third collection. Uh, the, the title that um, Michelle mentioned, "My Father, My Mother, She Killed Me, My Father, She Ate Me," is a is actually a, a line from a, a, a very amazing fairy tale called um, the Juniper Tree. I don't know if you all know that story, but um, one of one of my big interests is is um, folklore and fairy tales. So the book "Goodbye Flicker" is is the idea um, is that this young woman, um, this young girl. Um, appropriates all of these fairy tales and turns them into texts that she can use to understand her world, um, which is different, than, obviously, than the context of folklore. Um, and the book is influenced by um, both John Berriman's Dream Songs and um, The Descent of Alette by um, Alice Motley. I'm going to read the first, first poem. We shall now hear what happened. Once... For a moment, once upon, once there was, there came one day a king, a tailor, princess, the fisherman's wife, shepherdess, a girl, poor, lazy, clever, long and golden, hands like milk, like silk, stout and kind, true and faithful. She floated, 
that she was dreamt of, cross, clever, daughter of, wife to, sister, witch, Miller, farmer, tailor, very fine indeed, good at heart, in tiny cottage, the larder, the edge, the under, the in-between, and beyond, sister, mule, nanny, who loved her best, nightingale, swallow, swineherd, who envied her, who sent her to, that she became, in the deep, deep, as she had a because she was to, to take, to draw, to find, left there, into the deep, deep, over in the corner of, far inside, one day, on an errand, to the seashore, the kings, to her nanas, for bread, left there, of, as promise, loss, debt, worry, at once, in the forest, on the path, pins, needles, trees around her, sinister, stones, roses, egg, slipper, basket, teapot, farthings, a bottle of wine, found and kept it, hid it, stole it, gave it away, an old crone, bitter, a stepmother, a sister, mine, three things, three times, seven ways, four trolls, twelve sticks, and so on, and so, then, so then, a bone, a secret, the stone sang, a mouse, a mirror, a charm gave her later, counting, praying, and then across the hills, riding horses, carrying a box, a shoe, a cloud, three wishes, one kiss, a last prayer, one cage, the song she'd sing all, she thought, she prayed, begged and reasoned, she saw, she cut. This is, um, well, it's called Backstory, I think, <laughs> self-evident. The plot. An owl-faced girl with a loud family engage in numbskull search for deliverance from dreary sack of it, a little something for the mind. They try to cheap down food, the specter of such drudgeries like housecoats and wick, too heavy, yet she a pearl, a rarest thing. The owl-faced girl's got her eye on the curved security mirror, makes her wide. She sees the unfolding of the store, everyone slowly in search, fingers brush against cans, paws over shortcake, desire everywhere, so giant. Desire, a door in the security mirror, rimmed in black, shadowy like a carny. Desire, her eyes flashed. She'd go in, but not in, leave and not leave, no one would know, she reasoned. The physical way, goosebumps. The soul way, this one came from a line of dreamers. Her mother to marry Paul Anka. Her father, riches, no work. Blots out the obvious, scene by scene, like widening out. She vanishes into her hands and gets vanished. One of the reasons I wrote this book is um, my mom... Uh, who um, was an amazing, funny person, uh, um, loved fairy tales, but she would completely change them um, and make them really funny, and they would be about work, or, you know, she, was a, she waited tables and she cleaned houses, um, and uh, so she just made them, she made them her own, and in and and very, sort of very early age, she made me realize I could make them her, um, my own. Um, 
So this, um, this poem is, in a way, about my mom. The other, I guess the other thing is, um, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, um, the clothes have this particular smell. doesn't matter. It's like old grease. And, uh, and so that's one of the memories I have my, of my mom wearing a, um, um, a uniform from a restaurant and just that smell of grease. Um, and so that's what is in the first line of the poem. Hungry Office. Owl girl always bore shame for mother's brown grease uniform. Mo- mother told her that entire cities really got managed by cleaning ladies coming in night after night to correct executive mishap in the moonlight. Mops set aside for calculators, they formulate commerce. The only lady to know European markets writes her equation into contracts, seven-armed document maker, the bedrock floor by floor. It was an ending like she likes, how maids feel when they elbow through the vacuum dust to distribute their wealth over miles of cyclone fence, that their transport will come. All are mothers, blank faces answering doors in movies. Catastrophic dreaming. Her bedroom is pubescent chinoiserie, thrift shop silk slipper and the ceramic madams all parasoled. She was on the verge of a massive unspindle, but would she be a pursuit or the ritual of splitting yoke from the white? She detaches from the seducing marrow when vanishing is tremor to very foundation that only she feels. Memorize this because it's fable cloud, rainbow or thorn or torch song or hope face. Sometimes she cultivates legitimate and other times fantasy pastelling. Her rough-hewn middle class encroaches into her. The perimeters of her father, the snowman, seeps into the carpet. If she could, she would. paloma. She separates the truth of harm from woods. The dream of a china pastoral clutters the shelf with its ladies. I'm going to read a passage from um, the memoir Michelle was talking about. Um, the The book was written when I was um, pregnant with my daughter, um, who's now turning seven in two days. So I, it's interesting to go back um, to this book. Um, one of the one of the sort of backstories of this um, book is at, at the time my mom was um, what we came to find out was. Um, showing the um, symptoms of um, Alzheimer's. And we suspected that, that that was what was happening, but we were all in denial. And she was especially in denial, and she um, told us that she, they found a, a benign brain tumor, and she, was, she kept telling us that that's what it was, that's what it was, she didn't have Alzheimer's. But when it was, all of this was happening, I, um, I realized I didn't know her story. I knew the, that the story that I had about her, but I didn't know who she was. Um, and I realized that I had this amazing gift of um, being able to write a story that if my daughter is ever interested in knowing anything about me, um, although I'm sure children of writers don't care, uh, they, don't, they have it so they don't want it. Um, so, uh, so this is um, an attempt to do that and 
think um, I'll, I'll kind of play it by ear. I'll, I'll, I'll just read this section. So this section is um, me swimming, which was something I did a, uh, did a lot. I haven't done it in a while, but I, I, it's a very wonderful thing to do. I love to swim. Well, remember this is my daughter's first summer point of reference for future summers. We go to the university's swimming pool, the pool I love because of all of the public mothering. I'll remember the way my husband left her in the sun too long, her face made lovely and pink, also my first scare for her life. How she lolled in the car seat, covered by towels, the cooing that strangers did over her, their faces. I'll remember putting on a bathing suit and missing the expanse she made of my belly, my son less afraid of the water than the last time. This is my son's third summer. He digs his fingers into my hand when kids in the swimming pool get rowdy. He hesitates around the edge. My son has golden hair. It curls. It traps light. I look like the nanny with my mother's olive skin, black hair. In my lap, he's my prize. It's personality. He is tentative around slides, rides, and boisterous children. He has his own brand of wildness. He doesn't like to be bothered by other children's conception of play. He's acting out the stories in his head, complete with voices, anthropomorphizer of napkins. In the pool, my body floats, and I allow in all the ideas I miss about myself. A flossy rope ties me to myself, a leash, heavenly mother. In the swimming pool, I am a child making angels in the snow. Other mothers swim in the pool with their children, many of the mothers older. The sun adds a glisten on the ends of their hair. Their bodies underwater look unearthly. The woman in the lane next to me has shoulders as wide as my grandmother's. We wrap our children in towels the same way so that their bodies are swallowed warm with them. We hector them about sunscreen. When I swim and I am entirely alone with my thoughts, my children pass through my mind only as topics. I think, today when my daughter and son lay together on the bed sleeping, his lanky body next to her curve, is that not a poem? Her come from your body, mama. I try to remember the writing ideas that escaped me the night before, the ones I was certain I would remember. I couldn't get up and write because I was wedged between my children's bodies. Now I don't understand the lines. Divided into lanes, the pool is cleaved by the ghostly bodies of mothers gliding back and forth, back and forth. We are all submerged away from our lives. A woman's daughter stands at one end, yells, Mom, 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 and we all look. The water's tender cradle, it lifts my body back into place. I hear sounds like my daughter must have made just two months ago. The mothers at the pool slick with water, they appear emergent. Tired of thinking of poems, I plan her college years, her wedding. I invent her a big loft apartment in New York. I'm swimming for blankness, but it doesn't come. Out of the pool, immediately back into it, my daughter pushes her head into my wet body. I want to hold myself to you, but you are myself. She's hungry, and it's late in the day. She is lovely with her heartbreaking. 
She takes no notice of me, what I think of me, just my body. As I swim and lift my head to breathe, I catch a glimpse of the world therein and then recede back to my temporary world. Motherhood as pastoral. Motherhood as transcendence, laden with imminence. Motherhood as tenancy. My mom walks, my husband walks the length of the pool as I swim it to meet me at each end. My daughter's big imploring eyes, I ask him to stop. I sit and talk to a beautiful woman about mothering. I tell her of looking at my daughter's face for beauty, something I didn't do with my son. I remind myself to look for strength, for intelligence in my daughter's face. The beautiful woman asks why. The beautiful woman speaks of being occupied by the thought of pregnancy and asks if it's strange to have something so big in you, so living. I am reminded of how gradual the occupation was and thinking this was biology's way of adapting a mother's body to its eventual split. The beautiful woman has never been pregnant, wants children. I tell her she would be a good mother. We can all of us only try to be good mothers, I tell her. I felt occupied, I tell her, when my daughter's presence gave me heartburn, when I couldn't sleep. I couldn't explain how it felt like my body had been finished that would have been sentimental. It'll change everything, I say instead, but in a good way. I hope she has children. I hope it goes like it went for me. Every girl here, the future age of my daughter. Every boy, the lean body of my son. I hate to live so much in the future, but it obsesses me that they will discover literature, that they will have political leanings, that their bodies might have scars on them, a series of futures. I will them past my end, rattle my bones like their charms. Back in the water for one last swim, my mother can't swim. I feel proud when I tell her I've gone swimming. She's afraid of the water, its depth. She's afraid of my going far down into the water, going away. I tell her about the swimming back and forth, and her fear breaks the day into pieces. She's making a day and night of it. When I was a child, I was terrified of the water, but swam anyway. My cousin lived in an apartment building, and we'd swim in the pool at night, the lights casting our twisted shadows against the wall. I never closed my eyes. One night, the lights blinked out a short, a timer. Who knows? I called out, Mommy, Mommy, like she might save me. She came to the edge of the pool, kicked off her shoes. She would have drowned. She would have saved me and drowned trying, just for my fear of the dark water its lascivious lapping against the wall. I go swimming for her and against her. I go swimming to take her into the deep water in my heart. I swim as her. Thank you.